Sagan Olesanya is a consultant in anesthesia and intensive care medicine in London. He is actively involved in point-of-care ultrasound education and research. His personal experience of what is often referred to as a black swan event has spurred him to develop a special interest in resilience and burnout. As a result, he has published several peer-reviewed articles and lectured nationally and internationally on this topic. I was fortunate to be able to talk to Sagan recently where he was able to share his story of encountering a personal tragedy and how he lived through this experience. I learned so much from talking to him and he clearly has an immense amount of experience and knowledge on this topic. So this story is I've talked about this story quite a few times. So in 2013, I was an FT6 in anesthesia and ICM under the old system, and I was 18 months off the off CCT. And one day I was on a night shift, and my wife called me up. My wife was an ST4 in pediatrics, and she'd recently been facing some difficulties with exams. And one day she called, and I was on a night shift, I remember this very well. She called me up and she said, I have a knife in my hands. And there are lots of voices in my head telling me to hurt myself. Can you please help? And I put down the phone and I called my boss, who was at home at the time, and I said, My wife is suicidal and wants to kill herself. I am going home and I don't know if I'm coming back. And his answer was, Go home, don't come back. And he came in, I left. And that was the last, my last proper full day of work for about four weeks. My wife became profoundly psychotic, profoundly suicidal, and profoundly unwell from, essentially, from work, from this, from what we talk about, from seeing the worst day of people's lives over and over and over again. And I had to lift that. I had to watch her nightmares. I had to watch her flashbacks. I had to watch her have medication, have adverse effects of medication. I had to watch our families try to deal with it, to not deal with it. And I lost a job. I lost a number. And that was really difficult. And as to how I dealt with that, I probably didn't deal with it. Everybody else in my life, everybody dealt with it together. There's a wonderful phrase, it's a friend of mine called Liz Crow. She's a wonderful, wonderful clinical psychologist who works in Australia. And she's done lots of work on burnout and lots of work on grieving. And she talked about this phrase, sitting in the bubble. Sometimes the way you help people cope with life is not by fixing. It's by just spending time just sitting in the mess that has happened. Because you, you can't fix that. No one can fix what's happened. No one still can. But my wife and I and our family, we sat in the world together. And she got better. And I went back to work in February 2017, and I got an ICM number again, August 2018. Well, I mean, that's probably anyone's nightmare, isn't it, that sort of situation happening to you. What impact did that have on your career? What impact did it have on my career? It changed pretty much everything. It changed a lot of the way I think about people, about life about so i'm a christian it profoundly challenged my faith and i came to a real crossroads as to what faith was 
it's one of the reasons why I talk about resilience in those terms today, because I have witnessed firsthand how resilience is not about an individual person. And all that happens to things that are resilient or robust is they can resist external forces, but you bend them hard enough, they snap. Whereas if you have things around you to support you, then you all bend together. Um, it has resulted in me writing probably what three papers now on burnout, and I'm actually going to the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine on Monday to speak about burnout. Um, I'm now a pure intensivist, and a lot of my special interests have changed as a result. My wife no longer does medicine, but she now has a career that she enjoys a lot more. She makes wedding cakes. So yeah, so in, I suppose in answer to your question, what hasn't it changed? Yeah, it sounds like it's changed pretty much everything, really. How do you go from your life going in one direction to suddenly just a complete change in direction? How do you start to come to terms with that change in where you think your life's heading? So this is very interesting because in critical care, this is basically what we ask our patients and their families to do every day. We are in the business of black swan events. And, you know, our patients experience the worst of black swan events. They have massive MIs, massive strokes. They're hit by cars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they are the relative minority. There is no preparation from black swan events. I mean, you know, we practice our major incident type stuff and all that kind of stuff. And we have drills in place. What's that phrase by Mike Tyson? Everybody has a plan until they're punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's That's just like that. Yeah, That's everybody true. has a plan until you know until the black swan hits. And how do you cope? You look at the families and our particular world patients and their families. You look at how they cope. They give themselves and they give their hearts and they cope with love. And because they care, they sit there and they hold their hands and they work their way through it one step at a time. And it doesn't always work. It's frustrating. It's painful. But because they have love, it gives themselves the space that they need to make the mistakes and to find the right ways to cope and eventually thrive. I guess a lot of it is about having the time to deal with those situations as well. Particularly in a job as an intensivist, you always feel like there's a pressure on your time. How do you, how do you find time to be able to deal with those situations that just totally take you by surprise? Well, in my case, I didn't have a job, so I was given the time, I made the time. But the rest of the time, before that, I actually didn't go to work. And I didn't go to work because I couldn't. Because I couldn't see how I was supposed to go to work and look after other people's families when my family was struggling. I just couldn't reconcile to. And you have to give yourself permission to do the right thing for you. And if that's just stopping and saying, time out, you can't do this right now, then you have to, and you bet okay to do so. And I'm hoping, I really hope that my story, I mean, I left medicine for four years and I came back and it was like I'd never left. Everybody gets terrified. If you give yourself permission and you allow yourself to do things in a way that works for you and you actually allow yourself to choose yourself and your family and the things that are right, it all kind of works itself out. 
partly because I suppose you've chosen it in a way that you've been an active participant rather than passive recipient. And I guess part of that is is getting to know yourself and and getting to know uh, where your limits are and and how you recover what strategies you need for yourself. Did you find it challenging coming back to work? Was there anything particularly about it that was difficult for you? So I did try and keep up to date. I did lots of reading. Um, I was part of lots of online forums and things like that. And I worked for a few online websites and things like that. So I did do my best to keep up to date. The hardest thing about coming back was actually medical culture. After experiencing what I'd been through and being removed from it, I came back and I realized that actually the medical culture is actually horrendously toxic. A large part of what we do is very macho, very super doc, very, oh, you know, just man up and deal with it kind of stuff. I came back and I, you know, I'd look at, you know, junior doctors and registrars going, oh, you know, I've worked, I've worked 200 hours this week. Look at me. I'm so awesome. I bet he's left. And you're just like, oh, no. Do you realize how much that affects your cognitive performance and all the data on how, you know, how important sleep is and how, you know, if I was patient and I found out that you hadn't slept in the last 24 hours, I wouldn't actually let you touch me. And, you know, things like, you know, the way we treat each other, the way you talk to your colleagues on the phone, the amount of raw instability that I saw and I realized that I'd actually been part of, I'd actually contributed to. And that was really, really hard to come to terms with. There are some days I still find it very hard. And I'm really, really glad to see movements like Civility Saves Lives and, you know, Learning from Excellence. You know, things like um, Mike Farquhar and the Royal College of Anistas work on fighting fatigue. I'm so glad to see those movements coming in to, you know, to finally rehumanize medicine and help us say, we are human beings, we're not immortal, we are not gods. Therefore, we need to... In order to care for other people, we need to care for ourselves too. And I guess sometimes just taking or having the ability to take that time out to, to actually appreciate what those situations are like. And sometimes you only really see it when you, when you get back into it, as you've explained now. How can we change that culture? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? The first thing, I suppose, is acknowledging it. And perhaps realizing that this isn't great. And there have been a lot of things that have actually held up and have been recent alerts to the fact that medical culture isn't great. One was a junior doctor strike. Um, if there was anything, if there was any canary in the coal mine, it was that. Um, the other is things like the, the burnout rate. So in America, burnout is actually now considered a national medical emergency because so many doctors, you know, they have huge gaps in, you know, medical staff in the country. And we're also witnessing that here. The third thing is the ongoing pension problem. If our lives and our pay and everything was so great, people wouldn't be doing what they're doing, where they're, you know, where they're literally they're cutting down the amount of work that they're doing. But it's also showing how much extra work people are doing and how much it's actually starting to hurt. So that's one of the first things that will help change things, a realisation that there is a problem. And then the second thing is a conversation. And there are lots of things. There's so many things to change. It's attitudes as well. I want to be able to work in an environment where if a colleague calls in sick, there's no eye rolling and oh, what a worse. It's just, mate, get well soon. 
you know, where less than full time is not considered this kind of rare anomaly where it's actually standard. So the Royal College of Emergency Medicine are way ahead of us in this. And they've just rolled out less than full time training to everyone. And that's great. And, you know, why did it take till 2019 for that to happen? I don't, I shouldn't need to have some kind of special exemption to work less than full time if I want to. I should be able to choose to. And then, you know, the little things like being able to address invisibility. There's some surgeon, whoever, who's, you know, who's throwing his instruments around the room and everybody just kind of goes, oh, don't worry about it. It's just the way he is. It's no, that's not okay. You know, if that was a five-year-old child on a playground, they would get naughty corner or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. Being able to have a support structure, just being able to say, that's not okay. This is okay. This is our culture. This is what we're going to do. But that's gradually coming in. And by having conversations like this, that's how you start the change. You're obviously a very strong character and a very strong person, which comes across from the story you just told me. What about people who don't feel as empowered in that situation? Again, a lot of this is culture, and some of this, it's back to the playground bully again, right? There are two people, or there are several people involved in bullying in the playground. One is the bully themselves, one is the victim, and the third lot is run by staff. And it's everyone's responsibility to stand up for what's right. So if you're a person who is out there who doesn't feel empowered to speak up, that to me tells me that there's a problem in your organization with psychological safety if you don't feel safe to do so. And then all I can say there is find someone who can help you and take it from there. In time, I'm hoping that, you know, safety first and organizational culture will catch up to, the, to that point and there will be those champions in your environment who will pick up on uncivil behavior and be able to call it out if you don't feel that you're able to. I guess it comes back to the same before about it's important to have that support network around you. And interesting, you, you talked about the trust element of having someone that you can actually trust in. And clearly that's, that's an important part to supporting yourself and, and in some ways making yourself more resilient. If I could just get you to think of maybe one, one key tip you'd give to someone who um, was thinking about, this is a difficult situation. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. How I'm going to cope with this. How am I going to get back on my feet again after this? What would be your one tip for them? So um, at Smack this year, they came up with this wonderful mnemonic called Rare. And I think that really, really helps. So if you're in a difficult situation, the first thing you need to do, the first thing you'll do is react emotionally, physically, and psychologically. Sometimes trying to drown out your emotions in the moment can potentially be dangerous. So you need to allow at least some form of reaction out of that. Once your reaction has happened, comes a degree of acceptance. Acknowledging that X has happened. Then you need some time to reset. And once you've reset and considered, you can then engage. So react, accept, reset, engage.